Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights. Here with Skeppy, uh, not his real name. He was asking some questions, and we just went back and forth, and we had a good time. So the, he was talking about this uh, episode and the aspects of resealing or cases and boxes being sealed or resealed or not, and then also the choice to not grade. The other thing I need to say is my mistake, not his. When we started talking about the U.S. caramels, the first time I just mistakenly said American caramel, which is a completely different thing. Actually, a completely different classification, but the U.S. caramels are beautiful cards. I just misspoke. My mistake, not Skeppy's. And here it is. Back when the baseball card exchange Pokemon case was uncovered as being not authentic. In fact, pretty crazily not authentic. Whether that impacts the BCE, or for the hobby at large. So th- that was a while back. Do you have concerns about that? Or do you think that's blown over as a very isolated instance? It was isolated. And there's a lot of speculation on if that video was even real. Was it staged or was it an authentic video? Either way, ECE was pulled along for the ride and they're the ones under the bus here. It makes you wonder, what are they going to do moving forward? They did state that they don't plan on authenticating Pokemon anymore. I think Yu-Gi-Oh! was included in that. And they did say that they want to look at possibly refining this process more so that they can gain that confidence again. Yeah, I think that's right. I think you, you've got to stay in your lane. And even if it looks like this other lane is really lucrative, that's one of the things I meet with the BGS guys occasionally is if they get something they haven't seen. If in doubt, I say, don't grade it. If you're in doubt or if I'm in doubt, if I've never seen it before and it looks a little sketchy, then unless it's somebody that I've known for a really long time that'll totally vouch for it. And even then, you're putting your reputation on the line. So I've heard those stories, but I just think BBCE would have a massive loss if a video was doctored to throw them under the bus, because that can be career ending. If they hadn't had such a great reputation as being the foremost authenticators of unopened product and a pretty great reputation for a long time, they'd be literally out of business. So I think it's isolated. This has happened with wine. There are people that have done switcheroos. With, in fact, they made a documentary on that of fine wines that are filled with pink or purple water. <laughs> and I don't know whether they syringe them through the core or what, but people pay huge bucks for unopened old Cabernet Sauvignon. And, uh, and you can't test it. Once you open it, it's open. The feasibility of opening a random pack and then resealing it, that's resealing. Well, if they open the pack, I can see that. Some of these cases, the contents of the case, the boxes were sealed from the manufacturer. And I don't know if they need to get down to the point of opening that stuff, but I do think I'm in favor of opening the case. I think that they need to verify that what is in that case is actually what they're going to authenticate. And I think there's a lot of ways for people to get into those cases. And like you said, with wine and other things, they're able to get into that case, manipulate it, seal it back up in a way where consumer or even the authenticators can't tell the difference. And they authenticate this case. And these people are paying five, six, seven figures for these cases. But like with fine wine, There's an addition that goes with this, right? Like the case being opened doesn't make that case authentic anymore. Like it's not the way that it came from the manufacturer. Just like with wine, you can't really open the wine. It's the same kind of a thing. So if they were to open the case and then go through a resealing process, would they accept it because they felt like the level of authenticity was now higher? Or what's your thoughts on that? I don't think the hobby would accept that. But what the hobby could accept is the fact that there's a little bit more skepticism about an unopened case that is not there for an unopened box. So it actually works to what you're saying is that the, the sum of the parts may be greater than the whole. Instead of the instead of getting a premium for the unopened case, you may take a haircut with a case because there's that additional chance that it might not be authentic. 
which would just be the most horrible kick in the gut. <laughs> you buy an expensive case, you open it up and it's something else. Now, again, like I said, when I did the other episode on that, is it whoever you got it from is going to finger point that they got it from somebody who's going to finger point that they got it from somebody. But BBCE is saying it's legit and taking your tack. It might be that they say we're going to be much more careful or maybe not even evaluating or certifying or authenticating when it's a cardboard box because there's no plastic seal over top of the case. It's arguably only with wax boxes or cello boxes or whatever they are. The big spender, who's buying a case? I think it's people that are putting it away. I don't know that they're buying it to break it. So they're kicking the can down the road if it's bad or inauthentic. So I think it'd be better to have unopened boxes than unopened cases. In fact, they display better. They're more colorful. But I've told people when I got an unopened case of 55 Bowman's baseball, one of my best scores ever, I threw out the case box. Now that was stupid, but it was just a plain box and just opened it up and threw it in the trash. And now I'm thinking that was the rarest item in the buy. And I bought it with another guy. He didn't want it either. It's just taking up space. You no, know, there are no special graphics on it that couldn't be replicated or copied. The printing technology of the external box is easily faked. The printing technology of the presentation box, that's another story. If you're rescreening art and doing things like that, that's much more difficult. And then putting sure. special shrink wrap on it and all that stuff. I, I'm in favor of crooks being caught, found out, punished thoroughly, and made a reasonable example so that people see the crime doesn't pay. I don't think that's what happened with the Pokemon case. I don't think anybody ought to be laughing about this. And I'd hate to think somebody's going to benefit from it other than the person that maybe sold it or maybe didn't sell it. It's We live in a world where we're talking about card ladder, but this verification of an actual sale is not a simple matter anymore. We verified transactions, but it's not foolproof. If somebody wants to go to great pains to try to trick you, that the card is there on the table, it's a hundred bucks and you come back at the end of the show, I'd say they said they sold it, but the card's still there. They could say they sold it and put the card under the table. And, oh, you sold that? Yeah, I sold it. I got the full hundred bucks for it. And then we report that. On the other hand, we figured out after a while who was telling the truth. I'm not saying people are out and out crooks, but some people have more integrity than others. Just I, I, think I get three and a half million dollars for a case if I had the means to do that, which I don't, <laughs> but if I did, I would have a very hard time trusting that you know, I'm going to pay this three and a half million dollars and hope that, that the contents of that case is legitimate based on some tape and a plastic seal that was heat shrinked over it. I would have a very hard time with that. The other thing is that there are cards that are art. There are even wax boxes or hobby boxes or presentation boxes that are three-dimensional art. A case is not art. <laughs> You can't put that on your mantle and say, this is my prized possession, this case of Pokemon. People walk in and say, what's that corrugated box on your mantle? <laughs> oh, that's really expensive. And it's, it's uh, super sealed in this uh, special BBCE cello. And oh, it's my precious. So yeah. So the price could go down. That's my point, is that people are going to be a little more risk averse to think, you know what, there's a chance. So I'm going to pay a discount. But then if you sell it at a discount, again, this is the reverse psychology. If somebody has a case and this is a, it's say it's a $10,000 case, but it's 12 boxes that are each $1,000. Then the person ought to bust out the case and sell the 12 for a thousand each. If they're selling you the case at a discount, then you're skeptical. Because most people will do what optimizes or maximizes what they're going to get. These kind of things need to be resolved. And it's not just 
arresting the bad guys. It's trying to set up procedures. And that's what I'm trying to do in my podcast. Think through how would you decide about the risk of doing something like this? And you're, it's an unacceptable level of risk to me based on what happened. I think you're saying the same thing. You chop it in a hundred. It's a $3,500 case instead of a three and a half million dollar case. You chop it by a thousand. Still, do I really want to buy a case that's a box that's got some other boxes in there when really what people ought to be collecting are the cards? And if they're not collecting cards, that's how the junk wax era got rolling, is that people were collecting unopened cases and thinking that they were going to be valuable in and of themselves to fund their retirement. I'd like to do a little research. Like American Caramel, I've thought about those in a long time, but I love that set. And I wish I could bring back from the bank my, my Gehrig and my Ruth. And I need to get them graded. And I haven't graded stuff like that because when it's in the bank, I don't grade it because then it takes up more room and they're safe. So you have them raw or you have them graded? They're raw. I mean, I've had them for 40 years. I got them in 1978. Wow. Yeah. Most of my collection I got in the 70s. What I've gotten excited about with the hobby is to break free from grading stuff. Yeah. And you have enough knowledge and background to look at one of those cards and you know if it's real, it's been tampered with. And I have some knowledge over the years of the cards that I like to collect now where I can look at it and I go, okay, I know that's authentic, but I'm really enjoying it, not grading. I'd rather just enjoy the card and enjoy what it is. And then if I want to go back and grade it later, I can always do it. But for now, I just enjoy in the way that they are. And you could sell it to me or you could sell it to some other really knowledgeable collector, but anybody else that's not at that level, you have trouble selling an ungraded card. It, it makes me hang on to it more than right? <laughs> because it's not as liquid maybe is a good way to put that it's a valuable card it probably would grade well but it's not as easy for me to sell it so it's like yeah. an added incentive to hang on to it yeah it'd be stupid to sell it without grading it and i realized that if i want to grade it even though the bgs guy they like me fine it's not they don't like me but i might have to wait a year unless i want to pay a big price yeah. to walk it through and i don't really want to do that so if I had a buyer for it, if you said, hey, I'll give you any amount of money for it, well, I still wouldn't sell it, but maybe not any amount of money. But if somebody wanted it, it'd still take me a while to get it graded. And so again, like you said, that's a deterrent that makes me keep my powder dry. If right. I knew that it was a seven or a six, because it's not an eight, then I would be able to know exactly, or not exactly, but I'd be able to track the value. And then if I saw some card go for big bucks on or any of these big auction houses. Ooh, that's why stuff's coming out of the woodwork because they see that it's sold. And they, I got one of those. Let's see right now I have a raw one. I don't know. So I just not going to worry about it. Yeah. And I've spent a lot of money on cards and I've collected high value cards. And, and I'm to the point now where I find enjoyment in a 40, 50, dollars $500 card. It's not nearly as expensive as, as some of the other stuff I used to deal in, but this kind of stuff, I mean, something that's $40. I get a ton of enjoyment out of seeing a card like that. Or I'm even down market from that. I don't care if it's a $4 card, but I'm unwilling to pay three, four, five figures for a card. I can't, and I might trade, but again, I'm on the downhill side of having less cards. But if it's something for my wall, I might spring for it. But yeah. again, that's a good lesson, Scott. Basically, you know, people that are only interested in the glamour cards, that's a different kind of hobby than I grew up in where you tr- tried to complete sets and you enjoyed the thrill of the chase of something that wasn't necessarily that expensive, but it was hard to get, hard to find. You had a special eye, you saw it, and you thought, this is something I want to have, and I'm not breaking the bank to get it. So that's the way it used to be. Yeah. What if all cards were on a level playing field of, say, cap value of, say, it's 100 to $500, something like that? 
and you looked at <clears throat> all the cards that are out there, how would it shift to you know, what people want to collect and what they find enjoyment in versus the cards that are six-figure cards? They would then look at what they're valued and they go, man, I like this card the way this looks a lot better. I enjoy that a lot more. And there's no value tied to it. Not nearly as much value, I should say. Well, the whole idea of a rookie card with production delays and all that stuff, there's going to be 2021 cards coming out in 2022. So to call it a rookie card when it's out the next year, when they've already been playing for a year, it may de-emphasize rookies. You know, because if you have a first year card and a second year card, and the second year card is more beautiful, better patch, better autograph, better design, it's still going to sell for a fraction of what the rookie card is going to sell for. Yet anybody not a serious collector or somebody not in the industry in the hobby, they're going to be able to pick out the card that's more beautiful. The fact that it was put out six months later than the other one, it's just going to go over their head. Yes, sometimes you don't even like the rookie card. You're just getting it because it's the rookie card. It's the way it's been for most of my life. That doesn't mean it's going to be the way it's going to be forever. And so thinking person is thinking, if things evolve, we get to another level, then how could they evolve? It really could be some of these $500 cards that you're picking up or $50 cards you're picking up are similar scarcity to the $5,000 and $50,000 cards. There's just not demand right now for them. Not just based on the player, but based on a lot of things. Absolutely. And to hear you say that is pretty cool because I know you have a pretty amazing collection and you've seen a lot of stuff for you to still get enjoyment after this many years of some of the same similar things I'm talking about is maybe us older guys enjoy that a little bit more now. I don't know. And I've never thought about it this way, but blank check hobby is not the way I want to experience it. Not that you're even borrowing money, but wealthy guys that can afford anything and are not price sensitive, that's less than 1%, but they're driving a lot of the headlines. I'm not going to play that game. I could buy some really expensive cards But that's not the challenge. It's just, can you write the check? I want to pan for gold. And I want to see where the fool's gold is in there and where the real nuggets are. And they they don't have to be expensive for me to get enjoyment. Otherwise, I'm going to go to a show and come back frustrated. I never come back frustrated. I come back with a box of cards. It's not that expensive. And I bring them home and enjoy them. After listening to the podcast, you buy boxes of cards now, not just a card. To me, that's my my case break. Instead of a a brand new box, I'd rather buy a monster box of stuff from the 90s or 2000s or whatever. I'm not really buying a lot of real old cards because I've had all that stuff, but stuff that I didn't have. And if they're inserts or parallels or things that are unusual, stuff that I wouldn't otherwise see, that'll be fun to go through. I love cards.